Shalom everyone. We now have a ceasefire in Israel with Gaza. We also have Flag Day, the anniversary of the capture of Jerusalem in 1967. We also have the U.S. military offering something special to the IDF and the Israeli military. And finally, we have an update on the Russia-Ukraine war. Messianic World Update begins now. Shalom everyone, I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. Welcome to another edition of Messianic World Update. Today's date is May the 19th of the year 2023. Well, last week we saw the Palestinian Islamic Jihad element that was in Gaza, launching all kinds of rockets into Israel. More than 800 were launched at Israel. And we had Israel counter-striking more than 190 strikes in the Gaza Strip. Through the efforts of Egypt and the UN and other nations, they were able to bring about a ceasefire. And so there's no more rockets firing out of Gaza into Israel for the moment. Israel is back down from their Operation Shield and Arrow program that they had last week. Now, the situation with Gaza we need to say a little bit more about it. It's another one of these stalemates. In other words, we really haven't accomplished anything other than we proved that Iron Dome is more than 90% accurate, that the whole effort on the part of the Islamists that are in Gaza is not accomplishing anything. We did have one Israeli citizen that was killed, several were wounded but way more Palestinians lost their lives as a result. In fact, some of those rockets launched out of Gaza didn't make it out of Gaza. They fell short, and we have a report of at least four Palestinians that were killed just from those falling back in Gaza. You would think that someone with some sort of military understanding would know that's not accomplishing anything. But here we are. We've gone through this scenario again. I want to read a very interesting statement to you. This is a statement that came describing this whole Gaza situation, and it was given to try to say, we got to come up with another plan. Israel has to do something different about dealing with Gaza. We've got to find some way of changing this repeated scenario. Let me read this statement to you. In the wake of the last three deterrence operations, and then that's what Israel calls them when they do counterstrikes, Brigadier General Tamir Yadi and Lieutenant Colonel Aaron Orto pointed out that the conflicts were part of a predictable and worrying pattern. Israel Air Forces carries out an opening strike that kills a senior commander and temporarily knocks the enemy off balance. Israel decides to continue the operation. Then the IDF then struggles to keep pressure on the enemy, who recovers and fights back. And Jerusalem turns to the international community to help bring the fight to a close. Israel enjoys a limited period of quiet before the next round. Uh, that statement was written 10 years ago, and it could be a statement that could be made today. The situation is not changing. It's just continuing on with this bubbling cauldron with Iran agitating these people and them not being satisfied with their situation, wanting the demise of Israel in the course of it. It just never changes. 
it's kind of exasperating, and I'm, I'm sure it's got to be exasperating to the people who live in Israel in the southern part and the Palestinian people that are living in Gaza. But that's the situation that's happening there. Hopefully, that's sending a signal to the Palestinians and other Arabs that are in the surrounding area of Israel, especially to the north, that their operation is probably not going to be successful coming against Israel. The, Every time you pull the score sheet up on one of these military operations, the Palestinians and the Arabs lose dramatically and Israel prevails. So where's the solution? Well, maybe this future war that's coming, Ezekiel 38, 39, maybe that will be the resolution and be able to bring this thing to, to a different definition than what it presently is. But that's the status in Gaza with the ceasefire. Hopefully the ceasefire will hang on. Now, we also this week had what's called Flag Day in Jerusalem. This is the date in Israel that they march through the city all the way to the Kotel and the Temple Mount area, waving Israeli flags. All kinds of people show up and they wave all kinds of flags. And it's a commemoration of the Six-Day War when Israeli forces were able to capture the old city, recaptured the Temple Mount, in their war against Jordan at that time. Well, as you can imagine, a whole bunch of Israelis carrying Israeli flags marching through the Arab quarter in Jerusalem, going to the Temple Mount would agitate the Palestinians tremendously. There was great fear this week that it would light off more rockets coming out of Gaza or elsewhere. And apparently with a couple of small skirmishes, Flag Day came off, no more rockets out of Gaza. One of the analysts said the reason why there's no more rockets coming out of Gaza was those 190 airstrikes in Gaza were absolutely devastating to the Palestinians, killing most of their leadership, taking out most of their supplies, and that they probably didn't have much ability to do anything anyways. But with regard to the Palestinians that were in the old city and in the land, there were some skirmishes. There was also some misbehavior on the part of some of the Jews. Some of them were going in the procession yelling out death to the Arabs, which sounds like, you know, Iran, death to Israel, death to Israel, to the U.S. So they had those kind of skirmishes and so forth. But essentially, it basically went off without hitch. They marched to the Kotel. They marched to the Temple Mount. And in fact, people took flags up on the Temple Mount and they were praying on the Temple Mount, and there were even Knesset members that went up on the Temple Mount. All of that caused great agitation. Jordan, of course, complained. Turkey complained. Several other nations, even the U.S. chimed in, so you shouldn't do that kind of thing. But again, it's another item that brings the focus of the attention of Israel is toward the Temple Mount. There is a constant urge to have a new solution for the Temple Mount. And there's commentators now coming out and saying, just like the Gaza situation, that we need a new definition for it. There's people coming out and saying, we need a new definition for the Temple Mount so that the Jews can have a portion of it and the Palestinians can have their portion that they want to have as well. Again, we're watching it. We'll see how all of that bubbles out. It's obviously sometime into the future. This last week, also, several representatives of the United States government met with the leaders of Israel, especially the military, offering to Israel 
a new U.S. offer to do joint military planning with Israel. And they basically made the argument that Iran is doing all kinds of weird things around, and the U.S. is suggesting that maybe they and Israel should work together on dealing with those contingencies, they said, going on with Iran. It's kind of fascinating because the government of Israel wasn't so hot on the idea. And they asked for some clarification. And one of the ones they asked was, now, does this expand into operations? Now, let me explain. If the U.S. and Israel are tied together in a military operation, then each of them have the ability to say yes or no when it comes time to do it. If Israel feels they need to conduct a military operation in the future with Iran, they don't want the U.S. hooked in with them to the extent that they could cause Israel to have to hesitate. And that's very wise on their part, because right now, you know, the Biden administration probably would do exactly that if they knew Israel was getting ready to hit Iran. They're always looking for timing, and Biden thinks that he can still negotiate a diplomatic solution with Iran, and Israel does not want to have that hanging over them or stopping them from doing what they need to do, basically for survival. So while the offer has gone out, there's some discussion going on about it. But what's fascinating about that is the number of U.S. representatives from the DOD, the chief of staff, different ambassadors, the U.S. put a full court press on Israel to try to set this up. And at the moment, Israel is being kind of quiet about it and is not responding in a really positive way to it to keep asking questions of clarification. Finally, let's talk about the Russia-Ukraine war. Everyone is anticipating what we call the spring counteroffensive. The Russians carried on their winter offensive. They come to a standstill, needing ammunition, loss of forces, and they've lost a lot of forces in their offensive. And now Ukraine has been building up, and they're expecting Ukraine to launch a counteroffensive. And Zelensky is traveling all over the world, talking to other nations, asking for additional support. And he's making the bold statement that he wants to kick Russia out of every piece of Ukraine. And by the way, you know, there are analysts looking at this, and there is a possibility Ukraine could make some very big gains here if they were to launch this counteroffensive. At the moment, the focal point of the war is kind of in the middle of the front. And as we speak, the Ukrainians are attacking the flanks. Now, the main military unit that the Russians are using in that offensive is not actually a Russian army. It's a mercenary army called the Wagner Group. They've been successful. They are really trained veteran warriors, and they've kind of penetrated into that area. But now they're being outflanked, and they're scared to death that Ukraine is going to encircle them, capture them, and destroy them as a unit. And right now, the Russians are having a hard time protecting their flanks and stopping that from happening. It looks like a big mousetrap that is about to destroy a major element of the Russian army. Adding to that, we have an interesting report. You know, I had mentioned to you about hypersonic missiles. These are the missiles that fly so fast, five times the speed of sound, 10 times the speed of sound, that they exceed the capabilities of air defense systems to be able to shoot them down. Well, this last week or so, Russia launched a big airstrike against Kiev, the capital, 
and only one missile got through. Turns out the U.S. Patriot anti-missile system shot a bunch of them, and guess what? They shot down five of these hypersonic missiles, the missiles that weren't supposed to be able to be shot down. And analysts are now looking at and thinking that possibly this whole discussion about hypersonic missiles and the Russians claiming they have them, that it was completely overstated. These are not what they were billed to us that they were. They're a good missile, but they're not, you know, not at the level that he was talking about because they're not supposed to be able to be shot down and five of them got shot down. So that just adds to the intrigue of what's going on with regard to Russia and the war. Again, I've shared with you before, Russian is losing tremendous losses. They're losing all kinds of tanks. They've lost four aircraft last week in one battle. It is not going well for the Russians. The number of losses that they have suffered to personnel and casualties is off the scales compared to any recent wars that we've seen in our generation here. And the Ukrainians have had losses but only to the scale of about a tenth of what the Russians have lost. And so on the balance, it's not looking good for the Russians. They are not winning. Now, as to whether or not we can say Ukraine is winning, at least they're counterattacking. We'll have to see how Russia handles that, because for the most part, Ukraine has only been hanging on and defending. This is the first opportunity for Ukraine to actually counterstrike and strike the Russians and we'll see this summer how that all plays out. Let me just add this one other item. Zelensky's going around asking for F-16 fighter jets. The F-16 is an excellent air platform. The U.S. Air Force uses them extensively, but it's not that great of ground attack aircraft. There are many other things that could be used for ground attack, and it's a ground war, really, in Ukraine. And furthermore, to have pilots that are trained at the skill level to fly an F-16 and use it effectively, there's not enough time for Ukraine to train their pilots to be able to do this. So there is a interesting suggestion that has been made. If you'll recall back in World War II, when Japan was attacking China at the first part of the war, there was a group of Americans that got hired and they were called the Flying Tigers. And they flew out of a base in Burma, and they would fly up and they would attack Japanese bombers and Japanese aircraft and bomb their bases. And it was a very successful element. It was a mercenary element. Well, one of the discussions that's being, is could we put together a group of F-16s and already have volunteer pilots that know how to fly them and form a kind of a flying tiger element like to get involved with it. I'll be very curious to see if that pans out. That could have an interesting impact on what's going on. By the way, there are constant attacks now taking place in the motherland of Russia, coming from drones, sabotage attacks, and so forth. And so the, the Ukrainians are finding a way to fight against the, this Goliath called Russia. And again, that's the reason why we continue to watch it. It's very volatile. It's going to be curious to see when Putin gets pushed back in the corner, what does he do? Because right now, the Ukrainians are saying, we want all Russians out of every piece of ground 
of Ukraine, and that would be a devastating loss to Putin and for what he's been trying to do. Now, let me, as a last item to share with you, you, of course, know that we had the coronation of King Charles, and I've been sharing with you bits and information with regard to it. There's two items that I mentioned in previous broadcasts. I want to touch on those very briefly. Again, one had to do with him, when he was anointed, being declared as the king of Israel. And that's generated a lot of interest on the part of the viewers. And I mentioned the subject of divine right. I need to give you a little bit more information because this you're very curious about this. When a king becomes a king, there's one of three ways this happens. He can unilaterally, like a dictator, say, hey, I'm king. And that, that's essentially a dictator, you know, with a crown on his head. The second way he can become king is what they call by acclamation. In other words, the nation that he would be king over, they, the citizens all cry out, they want him to be their king. And we have a very strong monarchy in Great Britain. And there was a question about whether or not King Charles would become king by acclamation, you know, that he was the son of Queen Elizabeth and so forth. He has chosen, and I knew he was going to do this because this subject has come up before, he has chosen the third method, which is called divine right. Now, that's a very, very special definition for the monarchy to use. It dates back to a prophecy in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, in talking about the throne of King David, made the statement that his throne would never lack for a man to be on it. Now, we see that in Jeremiah 33 as a prophecy having to do with the Messiah. We see the Messiah as the son of David, and he's on the throne of David. He's the king of Israel. In fact, we see him as the king of kings, and it's called divine right. In other words, God has chosen for him to be on that throne. It wasn't done by the people. It wasn't done by him personally. It was done by God. Prince Charles, when he became king, he asserted divine right. And essentially, he claims, and by the way, there is a lineage chart that says this, he claims he's the son of David. And when he was anointed with oil from the Mount of Olives, and he had other things like the stone of scone. He had that stone that comes from Bethel that was the pillow of Jacob. He's claiming those things from the land. He's claiming at his anointing that he's the son of David. And if you're the son of David, you're the king of Israel. So he's asserting that divine right. Now, he says divine right. That's what that means. It means he's claiming to be the king of Israel. He's claiming to be the son of David. Now, we all know that the end of Messiah is to be kind of an imitator of the Messiah. He's to be kind of antithesis, if you will, anti-Messiah. He's to do things kind of different from what the Messiah does. And this coronation, I don't know how you could have a coronation for a future anti-Messiah to be more thematically on point for what the Bible tells us about the Antichrist and what he's supposed to do compared to the Messiah himself. So, in the, just for, for interest, while King Charles is not that popular in the United Kingdom, he is very popular within Israel.
Now, I don't know that all of Israel fully understands the implications of what has just happened, but he certainly is asserting, and the religious authorities that oversaw his coronation, they are asserting this. I think what King Charles would like to really become is the king of all kings. He's certainly trying to offer himself as the leader above all faiths. He's trying to assert himself as being the leader above all nations, and right now he's in charge of 53 commonwealth nations, a quarter of the world, and I think he wants more. So all of those themes are consistent with what we're expecting from an anti-Messiah. Now, there's another item that I also mentioned, too, and I said this is just a weird thing. You're going to have to figure this out on yourself, and I happen to mention somebody's come out and said, well, from the time of Queen Elizabeth's funeral until the day he was coronated, there was six months, six weeks, and six days. Very intriguing kind of thing. As I said to you, this is weird. I don't know what you make of that. Well, I wasn't saying that that was true. What I was saying is we've got weird stuff happening now, and that's a good example of what I was trying to show. There's a lot of weird stuff going on around this thing. People claiming he's the anti-Messiah for a whole bunch of assorted other reasons. Some of them say, no, he can't be the Messiah because the rapture hasn't happened yet. I mean, we got it all going on right now. But what is interesting is that people are focused, they're paying attention to this most recent current event. And I think from that standpoint, that is good. I think we should be paying attention to end time events and seeing how things are falling out. Do they line up with what the prophecies say? So let me share with you the most recent item that does line up with the prophecies. There has a paper now published by the Crown, that's King Charles. He has published a paper that has gone out to banks in the United Kingdom and government officials. And in the opening, he's saying that he would like to see the following things done. And the wording is there, at the command of the king. It's his first proclamation as king saying, I'm commanding this to be done. So what's the subject? The subject is digital money and moving away from cash. He would like to see the United Kingdom be the first nation to put in digital money. Now, if you dig into the paper, it says the following. Now, initially, we still have to have some cash, and we'll have digital money for big things. And when banks talk to banks, it's digital money, but when individual citizens will still be able to use it. But, but there will be limits on how much they can use and how much they can spend. And then later on, deeper, it talks about other authorities this plan would have. And it finally says at the back end, it said that it would have the authority to suspend all cash. If the United Kingdom decides to adopt this paper that has been published now by King Charles, United Kingdom will now go to digital money, of which the government controls. They control what you can buy and what you can sell how much money you can spend. And by the way, it's connected to your ESG score. It's connected to your social score. If they don't kind of like you, you're anti-government, they can clamp down on your money and keep you from spending it. And it takes away all personal freedoms, takes away all First Amendment rights within the United States. 
And the fear is if the United Kingdom picks up on this, other nations will just topple over and follow it. Because the United Kingdom is economically very involved with the rest of the world, and everybody would have to jump on to be able to continue to keep business going on a global level. That is a very serious consideration because that fits into the system of the prophecy of the mark of the beast where he has the ability to control your ability to buy or sell. And oh, by the way, he has put his name as the official leader start of it at the command of the crown. So that one, I think, is very noteworthy. You should check out. By the way, on the internet, there's a very detailed analysis on that report. Some other people have gone through and looked at it in detail. It's a very good report, exhaustive look at, and this is pending. This is our world, and this is what's going on. I'd like to remind you, hit that like and subscribe button for us here as you view the broadcast. We appreciate that very much. And I just want to wish everyone for next week a happy Shavuot as we come to the end of the counting of the Omer. And I trust that you will have a great Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, everyone, who listens to our podcast here at Line of Land Ministries. I want to remind you, you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you like to download your podcast. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.